Before we start the podcast, please make sure you check the description for any content warnings that may be relevant to you. You're listening to an ILX podcast. Welcome to ILX Podcasts. In this series, we're discussing diversity and inclusion in the workplace, why it's so important, how far we've come, and where we're headed next. We reached out to as many people as possible in our personal and professional networks with the aim of having honest conversations where those involved could share their experiences, thoughts, and opinions on various areas of diversity. And these are the conversations we had. Hi, so I'm Russell Kenrick. I'm Adam Deuce. Hello, my name is Amelie. My name is Shalina Samani. My name's Tim Packer. My name is Celia Sandia Daniels. Hi, I'm Emily Hamilton. My name's Chris Coombs. Hi, I'm Holly. I'm Erina. I'm Miao. I'm Hazel. I'm Giuliano. I'm Indigo Rosen Hunt. I'm Priya. My name's Katie. I'm Scott Hunter. My name is Phoebe. I'm Alice. And on behalf of ILEX, I really hope you enjoy these podcasts. If you do, don't forget to subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. I'd also encourage you to check the description box for any additional information related to the topics discussed in this series and to find out more about ILX's diversity and inclusion group. Today we're talking about gender identity. While it may be fair to say that discussions around sexism and the discrimination that cisgendered women face have become more commonplace in recent years, misogyny is still an issue that is deeply entrenched in society today and one that is still so often trivialised. But expanding on this, the dialogue around the gender spectrum and awareness of trans and non-binary people's rights and identities still feels relatively new to some. And therefore, there still seems to be so much misunderstanding underpinning a lot of these conversations. From the importance of gender-neutral language and recognising microaggressions, to how to be better allies to one another, we explore why it's crucial that we respect how others identify, and why talking more about gender is fundamental to moving forward. My name's Katie, Um, I'm a nanny, and I've been doing this for about two years. It was only supposed to be like an interim job. but it kind of came off the back of quite a stressful and demanding family support job. Um, so yeah, that's what I've been doing and it's it's great. I think historically, I've, I've generally worked in um, workplaces that have been more female heavy. So in schools, so that's kind of what I was doing before um, I became a nanny um, in the family support work. And generally also, well, because of the nature of the job, there tends to be more you know of a kind of female heavy ratio in schools Mm -hmm. um so it's only really within my job now that I've become kind of aware of my gender um more because I think it's 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 a private setup and I have to obviously report to parents and so it's just I felt like there's been more more issues that have kind of arisen from working so closely and not having I guess like a corporate setting or or like a I guess like a natural hierarchy Mm -hmm. um within my workplace currently I think it's tricky because I think like because there isn't that jurisdiction or like that accountability within 
private workplaces such as you know like childcare, it almost means that kind of your employees can almost go a bit rogue with um just you know maybe not following I guess contractual kind of I guess etiquette it's what what has come up is that like off the you know historically off the back of women's suffrage and like women's rights and and even just having the confidence and like the opportunity to to share about like maybe an incident if something happened to me where I was maybe discriminated against or I faced some kind of prejudice I don't have the I don't have the the things in place to do that Mm -hmm. do you know what I mean I can't you know if I want if I if I had a situation where you know I felt like I was discriminated against at my work all like all I could do is approach that person literally (laughs) you know the man who is employing me Mm. and so it's it's actually really oppressive I find it really hard a lot of the time you can feel really isolated and trapped within your circumstances especially like so I'm you know currently in a job that I would say that I really don't like (laughs) Um, because I don't I don't click with my employers I I do feel I get I feel very categorized like as a nanny within my own job so I, I just feel like I've almost been given this kind of like stereotype as a nanny I guess although it's not been overtly said I generally feel like my male employer thinks I'm not intelligent because really? I've chosen oh. because I've chosen this line of work oh. um yeah and, and almost like as if I'm less than and I, I and, and as if I could do anything better do you know what mm. I mean do you feel because you um because you mentioned earlier about how like you know it's nannying and just childcare in general is a predominantly yeah. kind of female line of work um, yeah to kind of you know make a sweeping statement I suppose but essentially do you ever kind of feel like you're viewed as less than because you are a woman in a in a in kind of like a yeah quote-unquote woman's role I don't know if that makes sense if you kind mm, of get what I'm saying yeah I, I guess I'm always experiencing someone's like narrative that they've contrived of like being a stay-at-home mum that thing of like mm-hmm. oh well you know maybe she's like maybe she's just not got any aspiration or you know maybe she's done that because she's lazy or do you know what I mean yeah. people that these are people that don't even know me or about my you know don't know my situation but yeah on a, on a on a wider scale I think it's more just judgment about my my practice and how I'm caring for children yeah. and you know or why are you doing you know why are you doing like a job that's they sort of see it maybe as a bit of a cop-out as if like why are you not doing why have you not got a proper career like why are you not a nurse or a teacher yeah I think it points I think it points back to just people not seeing the value of like childcare and nurturing I know it's yeah it's that kind of inherent stigma isn't it that is mm. really if we're getting down to it the stigma against roles that are more nurturing and and therefore stereotypically mm. more female yeah um are kind of looked down on somewhat which is ridiculous because like you say mm. childcare is not easy <laughs> um yeah. anyone who's got kids I'm sure will say that um and mm. it's a very demanding role and I, I find it really interesting actually what you said about um you're always experiencing kind of other people's narrative of you because I guess yeah. you must also get kind of the stereotype of being like a young woman with kids mm. and people might think oh young oh, like yeah. single mum yeah. or something and then you get all that that extra judgment that I feel men wouldn't get I'm trying to think of how to like um form this into sort of a 
a constructive question to ask. Um, because essentially what we're talking about is, is um, the way that as women, we are made mm. to feel by men. And I don't mm. want to, I don't really want to, I don't want to sound divisive about this. And I'm aware as well, I'm talking about you and I, cisgendered white mm. women. So yeah. it's, uh, it's take that as for what it is. It's just, I feel like in professional settings, um, I feel it more so um, the, the kind of pressure as a woman to, to not behave in a way that might mm. get me taken less seriously like you said yeah you, you don't want to behave in a way that's going to make you become the angry feminist or like the yeah, emotional yeah. woman whether it's just a, like adjusting my behavior around my guy friends or whether it's kind of you know being careful in the way that I approach situations with like strangers that is just constantly something that I'm I'm thinking about it's always always in my mind like you know if I if I react in this way will like things escalate or will you know am I coming across as being too much is my mm. personality being is it you know am I am I kind of coming across as like I don't know too bubbly or uh too flirty or you know or am I it's always too whatever you know mm. in a word in there I feel like as women there's so much at stake if we yeah. make something wrong like it's kind of uh yeah, like you say kind of fulfilling this you don't if you don't fulfill what yeah. society wants you to fulfill as this image of a you know prim proper nice neat tidy woman who yeah. doesn't speak too loud um then it's not even just you as a person are taken less seriously like you said it calls into question everything from like mm. your intelligence to your yeah. sexual promiscuity yeah. all of that is called into question like um because what you were just saying just then about like modifying behavior because I even when I think about it obviously not right now because we're not in offices but mm. um I will like what I wear in the office I won't wear a top if I know um particularly that I'm going to be in meetings with men or if I'm going to be around more men or maybe I'm meeting a man for the first time I will yeah. purposely wear clothes that cover up more of my body because I don't want to come across like I am yeah. be, trying to be seductive or whatever like ludicrous thing it is someone thinks. Mm. And when I say it out loud, that's absurd. There's just so many minefields mm. to dodge. Being perceived as aggressive or hysterical purely for voicing your feelings, concerns, opinions as a woman, because I really do... Yeah. Obviously, this is only my, my own experience of it, but um, and I'm not going to kind of, you know, speak on behalf of all women. But I really do believe it's just it is something that happens so much more to women than it does to men, if if ever really to men. Mm, that mm. as soon as we kind of say you're being sexist or could you not could you not um, refer to me in that way or could you not speak to me like that? Mm. You're kind of met with all right like calm down yeah yeah Stop, like don't get don't get so aggressive and I get <laughs> yeah. it as well as soon as you mention the buzzwords of like feminism misogyny patriarchy mm. sexism people are like oh here we go another angry feminist she hates all men and I'm like actually I don't I'm a big fan of men but you're making an assumption about me now purely because actually what I'm doing is calling you out on behavior that's not okay I totally agree and it's just like it's just a way of deflecting all responsibility why why are they even surprised that 
women might be aggressive what why is that even why is that even a question mm. because naturally you know we have to work twice as hard to have our voices heard within workplaces or within our own personal lives like yeah it's just always something that we've we've always kind of almost been we've not we're not voiceless but we haven't been given the same opportunities to use our voices so uh, yeah how else are we going to be heard you know equally I don't yeah. want to just melt into this kind of atmosphere of of you know a female oppression and that just perpetuates um oppression and misogyny and sexism and you know yeah like I don't want to have that yeah exactly same I don't, I don't want it I, re- I reject that <laughs> yeah but, um... put it in the bin yeah <laughs> I put it in the bin come on get in the bin misogyny <laughs> get quote, in the bin quote of the season right there <laughs> get in the bin Hi, I'm Indigo Rosenhunt. I am 19 years old. Uh, I'm currently working for a charity called The Great Imagining that is committed to improving uh, students and young people's critical thinking, creativity and access to creative spaces. It's such a bizarre feeling, I find, when you become aware of a way that you have viewed yourself for what you do like I remember when the light bulb kind of went on in my head when I realized how much I apologize just for (laughs) basically just for being here and um I think that's a very like woman problem to be to put it very bluntly (laughs) I I've had to really reconcile and this has been very recent actually maybe even the past kind of six months or so Mm. I've had to really reconcile my and everyone's right to take up space and to acknowledge that they're good enough, which are two kind of slightly cheesy, but I still like them. Um, they're true um, and, they're, and they are things that um, I'm not, I'm not going to make assumptions about everyone. I think it's fair that everyone has to acknowledge their right to take up space and, and, and that they're good enough and to kind of hold their own, to find their own bravado. I think when you're a young woman of color, the intersection of those three things means that that acknowledgement is, is so powerful because it's, it's going against every, everything um historically politically that has kind of um sought to undermine your right to take up space Mm. to undermine your worth um to undermine your kind of self-confidence and and assuredness that has given me a real complex about constantly proving myself to other people um which in turn means that i think i look for or and i think lots of women as well we're looking for validation from people and when I say people I namely mean men Mm. um that all interweaves into this fairly toxic um relationship that you have with others and and also yourself I think what's interesting is I so I had a conversation with my friend Anuli who you were also and also my friend Angie and we could all kind of like I can't remember who out of us had like read the study first or who brought it up first, uh, but it was the idea that 
women's relationship with their female friends, with other women had more of an impact on their quality of life and their happiness than their relationships than their romantic relationships with men. Really? Yeah. So and interesting. So interesting. And, and um, what's, what's great is I can, I can definitely understand that in lots of ways. Um, I think touching upon thinking about that in relation to male validation and pitting women against each other um I mean they it's something we find ourselves doing after it's happened um after the fact um I find myself um or I've kind of acknowledged that I've looked for male validation and that I've kind of quite key aspects of of what I thought was my personality have actually I've actually just cultivated for male validation and I think like to clarify as well that I was just thinking as you were speaking is that this validation we talk about from men is not even um like a a sexual one or a wanting to because we fancy them or because Mm. we want to we want them to think we're pretty and this is something I have genuinely only woken up to in the last like couple of years because I would kind of beat myself up for wanting validation from men because I'd be like oh you're so like pathetic Alice like you're a grown-ass woman and you want guys to fancy you and I was like actually no it's literally not that at all if anything I don't want that Mm. um because I feel like then they take me less seriously they just see me as an object it's the validation you want is (laughs) quite literally just to be respected and seen and heard as a human being I think what's interesting is when um, when women do something stereotypically male and then that's seen as like cool or attractive. Mm. Um, but also, as you said, maybe is it's not about um, it's not about, you know, being it's not about being wanted by men romantically. It's about it's, it's almost about wanting to to be a man, not because for any reason other than because they are respected and because they have power Mm. and you see that you know men are afforded certain privileges and that your life would be completely you know altered if you too had access to those privileges so we do stuff to get respect and validation from men in the hopes that maybe we'll you know find a way in have some kind Mm of um pathway into that weird untouchable ineffable privilege that they just have yeah it's just trying to find a way to get an invite to the party really (laughs) let us in please Uh, well, I'm Adam Deuce and uh, I'm Deputy Head of English at uh, Sixth Form College in Surrey Uh, But I also am the Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Officer there. How do you feel around, you know, as a society, our obsession with hyper and toxic masculinity? Um, I think it is shifting. Mm. I think, you know, although uh, historically it's been there and it's certainly there when it comes to, um, you know, sports teams um, and, and sports competitors, uh, which might be on an aside, the reason why so many, um, you, you, there hasn't been a sort of single uh, national football player who's come out during their time. Mm, um, yeah, uh, yeah I, I think it, I think it's slowly, I think the problem is that historically um, there has been this value placed on uh, this sort of toxic masculinity um, 
as a desirable quality in men from women. Um, and this sort of started really, um, again, through English is my link here, but through um, particularly, you know, uh, situations like Marlon Brando playing a Stanley Kowalski in A Streetcar Named Desire. That sort of changed the ideal of the gentleman mm. who actually originally, if you look back to sort of 1930s, 1940s culture, uh, and, and before then, the idea of a gentleman was actually somebody who, would we, who we would now label as camp, um, you know, not somebody who was hyper-masculine. Yeah. And yet that sort of renegade bad boy image became very desirable as a, as a trait um, for, uh, you know, particularly women, mm. uh, you know, heterosexual women. And so as a result, that's always been uh, commercialized and so a lot of men have felt, for example, they need to get six packs, that they need to, you know, not show emotion. But I think that that's changing, particularly in younger demographics. Mm. The idea of toxic masculinity, I don't find playing out in my classrooms. Oh, um, and even if it, you know, even if I, I mean, obviously English is not the great, greatest subject for that, but um, <laughs> even if, um, you know, a student raises a point, I will challenge it. Uh, so, you know, I, for example, in my tutor group, a student sort of, I asked a student why they thought it was, well, I asked the tutor group, you know, why do so many, uh, particularly male drivers, drive recklessly around the college car park? Mm. Uh, and one of the male students in the group said, oh, it's cool, it's fun, you know, and it's, and I just said, well, it's just to show off your masculinity, isn't it? <laughs> Silence. <laughs> um, so, you know, I'm culling it in its tracks um, uh, through my role. But I think, I think more, you know, more young men are very much aware of themselves um, and their impact on women today. Um, and that's really great. I think that, you know, we're really trying, we're really seeing a, um, a modal shift here in terms of that traditional laddish behavior, um, which is going from my experience as an English teacher, I think it is changing. Yeah. Uh, I think it's being called out more. Um, and I think the actual desirability aspects is going. Mm. You know, there, there is, for example, some really, uh, influential people like um, Harry Styles, you know, these men, very influential, and they're changing, uh, you know, people's perception of masculinity, mm. which I think is so uh, rewarding. It's not even changing, because I think some um, people, well, there was that thing that I can't remember what she was called, that woman who responded to when Harry Styles did uh, that Vogue cover, and he wore yeah. a dress on it, and some woman kicked off about it and said you know bring back manly men it's not about saying you know being a, a quote-unquote manly man is bad it's about saying that it's okay if you are not a quote-unquote yeah. manly man and basically calling into question what even is manly Scott Hunter, I uh, am a, have been a performer for the past 10 years and I'm moving into uh, 
a career in paediatric nursing. Well, because then I was, I was going to say that my, then my experience since, I want a better word, I want a better phrase than coming out, but since, since sort of just, I, I guess, owning uh, the, 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 that, that part of myself and, and my gender identity and my gender expression, since doing that and wearing less um, gender conforming clothes and, and walking out in a less, um, I guess, um, traditional presentation that is to say that there are more femme elements in my presentation um sometimes i'll be in stacked heels sometimes dresses etc etc since doing that the the response has been really interesting because i've got a little theory i think it's seeped in i think homophobia might be seeped in or partly seeped in misogyny because it's anyone doing anything that is exclusively seem to be feminine so me wearing a dress or even me kissing a man or falling in love with a man um someone who is sort of male presenting that's seen as a negative but why is it seen as a negative is it because that's what women do and is that seen as weaker and less am i being seen as less manly and does that less manly mean less strong then which means by the adverse of that that what you're saying is weak must equal female or feminine and so I, I don't know if it comes from that, but that's that uh, I don't want anyone um, who's hearing that to, to be mistaken that that's just within a heteronormative environment. That's within the queer community as well. That's within cis gay community as well. And speaking, I, I, yeah, I think it comes, it, that's, that's been something that's always been there, that being mask, straight acting, which is a phrase I hate, is, is seen as attractive. Um, and and femboys or you know effeminate camp flamboyant all these words the power in them is diminished because or, or, or people try to um, strip the power from those traits. I wonder if it's to do with because they are traditionally uh, p- people who are female presenting. It's just something I'm thinking on a lot recently since sort of since seeing the change, you know, I lost, it sounds so silly, but the bulk of my followers on Instagram are, are gay uh, cis men from, because I did, I did a, a show about two gay soldiers who fall in love. And since posting the sort of, the, the, the posts in, of, of my Instagram feed have changed a little bit. Um, a lot of them have gone, a lot of them have disappeared. And it's just very interesting. And I do see a change in pattern. I see people, I wouldn't say close friends, but I see, I see people I know who are gay men and I would have classed, you know, like I said, friends, not respecting my pronouns. Pre-COVID, I used to work in a pub. I overheard so many conversations, but there was a real objection to gender neutral pronouns. Though, and it was the way it was talked about was in it was ridiculed it was like oh like why you know oh that's so stupid like and I overheard those conversations so many times and I could never understand why why people got so like angry about it but also it's just that like ridiculous like lack of respect um to it the way that it's ridiculed and I feel like that um translates sometimes to a professional setting people feeling maybe like they get taken less seriously by stating their pronouns this could Mm. all be complete rubbish what have your experiences and thoughts been yeah i think the reason people stick so vehemently to the binary but also to lots of things i think people stick to those um because to think 
further outside of those boxes. Those boxes were created, or these boxes were created either consciously or unconsciously. And I think the former is probably more likely that they were created really, really cleverly by people as a way to understand something that is not understandable. We all do it. We all, we all find ways to understand things. And usually that's by oversimplifying. And that's totally fine, unless that detriments someone's basic human right, their happiness, their existence, their quality of life. <clears throat> and I think to attack that and to question why and, and to sort of and pull the rug out from underneath that really scares people because then they go, well, if if that isn't true, if it isn't just two sexes, which scientifically there's not new splash, but if that's not true, what else isn't true? And you start to sort of un, you start to open this sort of lotus flower and you go, oh, we don't know anything. We're, we're all searching for that sort of who am I? What am I doing here? Even if it's it, if it's unconscious, we're all trying to find a place and we're all trying to find who we are. And we're all trying to find an identity. And so often, at least in a Western heteronormative um, pattern, the ways to identify yourself are sort of only what threefold, and it's your 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 gender, your manliness or your womanliness, your family unit, and your work. And so, to attack any one of those becomes by proxy an attack on someone's on, on someone personally mm. because it's all this it's this ego it's this need to um I was about to say someone loves himself I mean it's like sort of true ego is in this the sense of just needing to create an identity and so by me going out and address I inadvertently attack someone's ego because that's not what they know as identity that's not what they know is the law of the land you know the law of the world the law of the way their universe and their head works. It's, it's a really interesting thing. And I'm trying so hard now to, to not villainize the people who take time to learn to respect it or may never respect it. I mean, I agree with them. I've been thinking, oh yeah, I've just been thinking about it a lot. And straight white men are so seldom othered everyone who's not really a straight white man in Western civilization has had probably experienced a form of being othered to a point where it, it brings a sense of shame and shame is one of those toxic things that leads, I think, people to their worst decisions. And so almost, I, I feel sorry for them. I say I feel sorry for them and then I just think it's the 21st century. Get on your phone, you've got the answers on Google, get to it, you know. That was the philosophical approach and then the commonsensical part comes in and I'm like, read a book. <laughs> So hi, I'm uh, Emily Hamilton. I'm Vice President of Strategic Change at RS Components, um, which means that I lead on some of our major change projects and programs uh, for a business unit of, of what we do. Um, diversity and inclusion is important to me for, for some relatively obvious reasons. I'm, I'm a transgender woman. Um, and so there's an intersection there about uh, the rights for transgender people, uh, but also the rights for women in the workplace. and uh, those are things which um, we shouldn't take for granted. So being involved um, in diversity and inclusion is clearly important to me, uh, and not just at work. So um, I'm also interested in, in how that plays out in, in society and things I do for leisure. Um, really proud to be able to say I'm 
a founder member of Professional Rugby's first LGBTQ plus supporters association, uh, which I'm very excited about. I mean, just DNI isn't just for the workplace; it's um, it's for all facets of life. Being in the closet is like being in a play as an actor, and yeah, you, you'd probably be quite fun for a few for a few performances, maybe. Um, but when you've been doing the same play every night, every day, three times a day for 42 years, it ain't fun anymore. It's not fun not being able to present as I am to people. It's not fun not being able to join conversations with my team. And I've, I've generally, uh, and I'm not sure why this is, generally had all female teams that I've managed uh, for a while, although they're, they're, I have now got some boys in the team as well, so uh, and they're very welcome. But, you know, they would have a conversation about things which were considered to be feminine. I was desperate to join in. I was desperate to listen in, give an opinion, think about what they were saying and, you know, partake of it. And I couldn't do that because the gendered expectation was I'd be the creepy boss. Mm. The creepy boss after here. Um, and now I can have those conversations. It's magic. It's, it's the most amazing thing. It's, yeah, it's, it's not so much coming out. It's just stopping hiding. If I say to you, my name is Emily Hamilton. My pronouns are she and hers why would you use a different name or different pronouns for me what what benefit does that accrue to you as the person saying that mm. as opposed to saying okay that's that's how that person wants to be referred to and it's just basic decency um and and there is a move to putting pronouns into social media or onto the end of um email addresses and I think if people feel comfortable to do that if they're comfortable in the gender identity that's a really helpful thing to do mm. and it means it takes some of the emotional labor away from trans people to have to to put that in there you know I, I'm under no illusions my voice is not where I want my voice to be it's going to take me a lot of work and a lot of effort to get my voice I hate my voice and I get misgendered on the phone all the time and, and people listening to this will say well of course you do because you don't sound like a woman uh, in inverted commas well this is what a woman sounds like you know I'm, I'm a trans woman and so once we've got over that and I've said my name's Emily and uh, you know I'm Ms Emily Hamilton um, I don't expect somebody to then ask me a question well no what's your real name or 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 refer to me with male pronouns um, because it's just rude Hi, so I'm Russell Kenrick. I'm the managing director at ILX Group. Because you are a man, um, what's, what's your opinion on male privilege these days? So, so the awareness of male privilege is a, a, a newish narrative that's come out maybe in the last few years. Possibly it's been around a lot longer than that, but certainly I've become a lot more aware of it. That's not to say that male privilege has only just come about in the last few years. It's been around for centuries. Um, but the maybe wider understood nature of it is something that's relatively new. And I think it's quite challenging for a lot of people um, because you're brought up being told, be your best, do what you can, you're in charge of your destiny, go out there and do it. Um, and then all of a sudden to be told, actually, you had a massive head start in that race is something that you, you've got to come to terms with. But it's absolutely real, you know white middle-class male has almost definitely a massive head start in that race. Mm. Um, 
And so it's the responsibility of us, me, uh, people in my shoes to talk about it and recognize it um, and be open about that. And then I think it goes beyond that because just recognizing and being open about it is, is only the beginning. It's then, you know, what might you do differently in the future and how could you help, um, you know, level up? How could, what can you do differently to, to improve the outcomes and maybe reverse some of the biases that are towards that privilege? Mm. Um, and this is where I sort of settle on this is a complex issue, multifaceted, many different drivers and the search for a simplistic narrative to answer the challenge uh, is probably a fruitless one. You've got to be really careful about trying to find the, the, the one minute soundbite answer to everything. Uh, it's unlikely to solve the problem. So mm. that's not to disregard it and use that to disregard it. It's just to recognize that there won't be one solution to this complex problem. Yeah, not making you a spokesperson for all men at all with this next question, but at least in your your personal experience or just in your opinion, how do you think you can actually kind of advocate for others, use your privilege to advocate for others? So, so the first step is being aware that you've got a privilege. Um, and without that, you're more inward looking um, and you, you can't do anything about it. So... The first thing is being aware of that, helping others to become aware of that. But then I think it goes beyond that. Um, I think it goes towards maybe making allowances for your privilege, uh, providing support uh, and development, encouragement. Um, if you can develop the confidence of those around you to, uh, to, to, to level up you know, with, with support, then you'll do your bit. You, can't do it everywhere. You can't solve the problem as an individual, but you can certainly do your best to try and help those around you deal with the problems associated with it. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Join us again next week as we continue to explore the narrative around gender identity in a little bit more depth. If you liked what you heard, Remember to subscribe and leave a rating or a review if possible, and be sure to follow us on social media for updates on subsequent episodes.